This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. If nobody hears anything else that I say today, I, I, I want you to hear that there is no such thing as cancel culture in society. There is people who are not used to being held accountable, being held accountable. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Inter- interchangeable. In- interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. Today's essential question is, what is the difference between cancel culture and consequence culture, and how should each be utilized to promote justice and equity in the world? We've invited a very special guest on the show, Nate Bowling, 2016 Washington State Teacher of the Year, King of Cancel, and host of the Nerd Farm Podcast, the second hottest show in the Channel 253 Network. Nate, welcome to the show. He's all right. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. It honestly is. We're happy to have you, Nate. So we're going to begin with a new segment that we just started um, called Yeah, No, Yeah. Interchangeable. White ladies. And this is going to give us a a little temperature check for the room to kind of see how we feel. First, we're going to ease in with some simple questions. And then we'll, you know, work our way to some more complicated uh, questions and statements. So for our listeners, just keep in mind when when Megan or Nate say yeah, they mean yeah. When they say no, they mean no. A no, yeah means sure. A yeah, no means no. A yeah, no for sure means yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah means no. Yeah, no, yeah means I'm definitely willing to do it. And no, yeah, no means no way I'm doing it. Okay, does everybody got that? Are we ready? Which one of you came up with this? All right, here we go. Guess, just guess, just guess. (laughs) Attending an Oli Rain game with masks and social distancing. No, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I thought I, I expected a little, you know, bolder responses, but that's all right, all right, okay. I uh, had to read my one, key. Next one, here we go. <laughs> Arguing with a MAGA supporter on Twitter. No. No, yeah, no. <laughs> Number three, appearing as a podcast guest on another Channel 253 show. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. All right, now let's build up to some more difficult ones. So far, you guys have been pretty well aligned, so I'm really curious to see where our ideas diverge are you ready uh here you go more societies should shun people more do more shunning yeah no for sure oh um hesitancy oh yeah uh here we go here's another one i want to change i want to change i want to change to yano yeah Okay, why, do you, why the change? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, mm-hmm. because we should shun awful people. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I'm sorry. Like, there's there's one of the reasons why America is in the place that it is is that like a lot of folks got punched in the face when they were like seven years old and being dicks to people and it didn't happen. Like, I'm here for shunning and consequences. Mm-hmm. A little um, insight into what this episode's going to sound like. <laughs> it sounds like Nabling might be choosing violence today, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Okay, a couple more questions for you all. Is cancel culture a radical form of citizen justice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. Oh, okay. Stink faces both from both of you, uh, just for the listeners who can't 
see their faces at the moment. Here we go. Is cancel culture just a medieval mob looking for someone to burn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Mm. I think I made one up just there, but that's all right. (laughs) If it's right in there. Is canceling cancel culture cancel culture? (laughs) What? What? Okay, if you could cancel pumpkin spice lattes, would you cancel it? Yeah. No, yeah. Okay, excellent. I think for the most part, you both align uh, ideologically here today, but there were a few variations. Uh, Do you want to speak to those variations? Megan, you seem like you don't really believe in shunning people. Is that true? I think it was more the the wording of it. Um... like do more shunning I think it's that right like how much are we shunning people do we need to do more of it um and who are we talking about here like are we talking right like I think that different groups of people if we're talking about Republicans like my answer would be like yeah for sure we need to do more shunning right like we need to be holding people to a higher standard But I think that just like culturally, that's a hard one. Well, I feel like we need to start this episode uh, by digging into what the heck cancel culture is and how all of us define it. So give me some parameters. How do you all define, in your own humble opinion, this concept of cancel culture? It's been around actually for a while, but I think in terms of using that term, um, it's in the recent history, our recent history. Uh So for me, cancel culture is the refrain of powerful people when there's public accountability for their nonsense. Like I've talked about this before, but like I can't help think about like William Sapphire as a columnist for The New York Times back in the day. Like if Sapphire rolled out a a really crappy column back in the day, uh, everybody would sit at home and read it and be like, well, this is bullshit. What's wrong with this fool? And then nobody would really take the time to write a letter to the editor and then some folks would write a letter to the editor, and then these really well-written to the letters, letters to the editor would get like reviewed by the editor and put in the paper. And then like that is the way that opinion elites got their feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So, but now because the internet is a form of democratization of media, like if David Brooks or George Will or Matt Taibbi or Matt Iglesias rolls out a turret of a column, like they get smacked with 45,000 replies and they call yeah. it cancel culture. And when really it is just like your own crappy opinions and people's takes on them coming home to roost. Yeah, that was it. Um, that brings up a really interesting take that um, in preparation for the show I read and it was that it's it like it's not necessarily cancel culture it's just the only type or form of power that marginalized communities have to hold these people in power accountable mm-hmm. for their words and actions right like it's it is the power of social media for the marginalized voices to be heard in a meaningful way right like that collective we talk about how um I'm trying to use like marginalized and not minority because I think that it's coming to be that it's not the minority of thought, right? It's, it is a lot of people are thinking these things and now they just have a way of publicizing those criticisms. Yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, I went to my favorite resource, Wikipedia, to really get a good definition for this episode. And it described cancel culture as a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social and professional circles, whether it be online, social media or in person. And I thought, you know, obviously the English teacher nerd to me was like, okay, ostracized. Are these people really ostracized? And back to your point, Nate, 
so much of this conversation is about power and people being upset with somebody protesting their opinion because of the power that they have and the privilege they have in that position of power in order to say that thing. Um, and I think there's something to be said about the fact that we can hear it. It's It almost reminds me of um, like we talk about don't read the comments on online articles. It almost reminds me of this is a, a more formal version of those comments. But people that are commenting are actually commenting for a reason beyond like, this is stupid, you're ignorant, stop forcing your race, you know, whatever um, that we get in those comments. So I was kind of thinking about it a little bit in terms of that's why we get some of that pushback. Well, I also think about like this new term of consequence culture right? Mm. And is there a difference between cancel culture and, and consequence culture, right? Is there a difference or is cancel culture just consequence culture? And is there, is there a benefit into changing what we call it? Do we think that it would impact how people um, interact or in exchange with it needs giving a very firm head shake no right now? So well, talk we, about we we don't call it anything. It's just accountability. Like when people do <laughs> crappy things, they get held to account. So like, here's an example. I've subscribed to the Washington Post since like 2015. Uh, this week, they decided that they're going to have Josh Hawley, who is the senator from Missouri, come on like their online platform and like hawk his book and they're running ads. Hell no. Like I, yeah. I don't pay money so you can bring this insurrectionist on there. So I canceled my subscription to the Washington Post and I posted about it online. And so it's like cancel culture. MF or this is how I spend my money. Like yeah. this is me, a consumer, deciding that they don't deserve my money anymore. And like uh, people who are complaining about cancel culture are used to not being told that their ish stinks and they're yeah. used to having platforms where they're unassailable. And like, no, 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 no. I'm a discerning consumer. I have one vote, but I have hella dollars. And so the choices that I make about where I spend my money, like that's my accountability to people. And so like trying to rebrand this made up moral panic conservatives have made up of cancel culture as accountability culture, uh-uh, it's just accountability. Like talk shit, get hit. Like there's, there's <laughs> like, that's it, that's it. Doug, you have to leave all this, by the so way. Ray, like, great one like, like, to is great the name of the podcast this episode. It's <laughs> exactly. got to be. Um, so, but honestly, so what is like the most baffling to me is the, the loudest people in response to this, like cancel culture and like whining and complaining about it are the same people that are like, listen, the government shouldn't be creating laws and policies that are going to regulate yeah. behavior in order to protect marginalized and minority communities and blah, blah, blah. Capitalism, 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 and capitalism will just take care of it. If you don't like it, don't buy it. If you don't like it, don't consume it. And then <laughs> they yeah. do shitty things. Like I'm thinking of um, Major League Baseball pulling the... Um, the game from Atlanta, right? And so all these politicians are like, oh, but like, oh, so now we're just going to let baseball tell us what's right and wrong? No, stupid. That is them using their dollar. That's capitalism. Yes. They don't want to use your, like they don't want to participate in that business. So they're moving it elsewhere. If you don't like it, change your behavior. But this mm. is capitalism. Like you don't get to have it both ways. Either the government gets to protect marginalized and minority communities and they get to hold people accountable. Or you say, listen, society will just take care of itself right? Like small government, society will just deal with it. And this is society dealing with it. But conservative right-wing nuts don't want to value the voices and opinions 
of people of color and they don't want to value the opinions and voices of marginalized communities. And so whenever the marginalized communities and people of color have their voices heard and have any sort of power and any ounce of power, Hmm. they scream cancel culture as though it's this negative thing. Like it just frustrates me to no end. The people who talk the loudest about cancel culture are right wingers who are constantly canceling things and then liberal opinion elites who like don't get any feedback and push back from their left. Like I'm going to borrow for a second from Michael Hobbs uh, from the Huffington Post in his podcast you're wrong about. Like, do we not remember the whole Freedom Fries thing? We try to cancel the country of France. (laughs) Do we not remember the Dixie Chicks? Do we not remember Megan Rapinoe for kneeling? Do we not remember Colin Kaepernick? Like, so the the reactionary right wing in America wields cancellation like a sword. And then people on the left, when they say, when they do the same thing, like feel they have to defend themselves and rebrand this. No, like Republicans my entire life have called themselves the party of personal responsibility. Like what we're seeing happen to these opinion elites and these people is, is they're being held accountable and responsible for their actions and like more to it. Like, honestly, uh, something I teach my students that I think is just kind of like worthwhile to put out there is, is that we're all one bad tweet from losing our job. And like, that's okay with me. Like, more people should get fired for being racist. More people should get fired for being transphobic. More people should be fired for just being awful people writ, writ large. So many ways, so many things I'm thinking about why you both are talking through the um, through these different examples. Um, one, I want to go back and kind of tongue-in-cheek to one of the questions I asked you at the top of this um, in our Yeah, No, Yeah. Uh, Stephen Fry, <laughs> awesome uh, soccer player, as you all know, uh, keeper for the Seattle Sounders, actually tweeted about this earlier this month. And he was the one who, who actually tweeted, is canceling cancel culture, cancel culture? Um, and how much canceling cancel culture before canceling culture cancels culture becomes cancel culture? Um, and then in the same thread, I yeah. I also was uh, struck by at Cat Likes Bridges, which is a great um, handle, by the way. How much culture can cancel culture cancel if cancel culture could cancel culture? And so do you, either of you feel... <laughs> Do either of you feel like there is a limit um, to this? Because I hear what you're saying, and I definitely am nodding along with you. But of course, I'm going to, you know, channel the like white whiner and be like, but guys, what about the other side? Even though I actually don't believe in the other side. Um, What do you all have to say about that? Is there a limit to this? Well, I think um, so. My my follow up question, Nate, is like we're one bad tweet away from being fired, which I agree with. So my follow-up question to that though is what if tweets from 10 years ago surface and you're, you've no longer had that problematic behavior. So maybe, so it's not like projecting into the future. You're one bad tweet away from being fired. But what if like 10 years ago, a couple tweets that are like, were a little problematic or, or, or right. Or a lot problematic. Do you believe that that should result in somebody being fired from their job? So I, I'm, f- I'm in my forties. And so 10 years ago for me is like in my thirties. So if I was being a racist in my thirties, then like still, you, uh, I, you knew better. I, so. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that we should hold people accountable for things they did when they were 16, okay. but like that is a very, very small percentage of the cries of cancel culture. And mm-hmm. one of the things about, about this is, is that like who actually has been canceled? Like, Barry yeah. Weiss complains about cancellation and now she like has a Substack subscription list that generates a bunch of revenue from her. Like she left the New York times, yeah. like, like all these people complain about being canceling actually haven't suffered any consequence. And like, so, 
your favorite writer, Matthew Iglesias, I mean, the same thing happened to him. <laughs> and he also had to go to Substack. I need to well. just give some like um, context for the listeners that Nate almost just had like a coronary embolism by hearing that this is his favorite writer. Just some context for everybody at home. I just watched his face go crazy. So, sorry, continue, Hope. Continue. I mean, what about that? What about those folks? Are they not being forced to go to these platforms that no one cares about? Isn't that suffering? The question is so preposterous. Like, (laughs) just on its surface, I don't know where to begin. I don't know why you brought me on here to troll me like that. What what, what I will say is, is that when it comes to this cancel culture and free speech moral panic, uh, liberal elites are as guilty as right wingers. And I, I, I think putting this in context as a moral panic is important. This is no different than like when conservatives were convinced that heavy metal music had bat mask, sorry, back masking and like Satan worshiping, worshiping crap in the background. This is no different than the simultaneous panic happening about the 1619 project. This is no different than the critical race theory panic that's happening. Like this is all right wing reactionary, like just fear-mongering that isn't really existing, that, that, that isn't really a thing. And liberal opinion elites who who buy into this and like give it airtime and play space to it and give it space are actually doing a, a detriment. Like I, yeah. I was listening to a otherwise wonderful interview today between Ezra Klein and uh, Elizabeth Warren. And like, you want to talk about two wonks talking about policy. It was great. And like in the middle of the episode, Ezra Klein is like, yeah, we're going to have a forum on cancel culture with Jane Coaston. And I'm like, what the F for? Like, I, I it's, it's, if nobody hears anything else that I say today, I, I, I want you to hear that there is no such thing as cancel culture in society. There is people who are not used to being held accountable, being held accountable. And, and frankly, the cancel culture like existence is, is just one example of like why of why like white folks online should not commoditize and start using black culture because like y'all ruin stuff like the word woke the word woke had a place in black culture going back to like the black power black power era of the 1960s and 70s. And essentially because it was co-opted by white folks on Twitter, it was then co-opted by the right and has been ruined. The word cancel has a history in the black community. Like R. Kelly was canceled. Like we canceled R. Kelly, right? And now it's been snatched up by, by the right. And so like it's, 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 this is at the crossroom of so many things that are messed up. It's at the crossroom of right-wing moral panics. It's at the crossroom of the commodification of black culture. And then also it, it ties back to the whole like fake free speech crisis on campus right. that conservatives have been clapping on about for, for years. Like it's, 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 all, yeah. it's all fake. It's all distraction. It's all nonsense. And like we're not talking about the fact that like a thousand people are still dying, a day are still dying. We're not talking about the fact that the minimum wage is still seven something an hour. We're not talking about the fact yeah. that in the wealthiest country in the world, there is a rising infant mortality rate. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's cultural pablum and I can't stand it. Ah! And, yeah. and, and Matt Iglesias sucks. So your long answer to my question is that no, there's never too much um, accountability for folks then. Using my key, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, and I think, so you say like, if anybody hears, like takes away only one thing, like, right, that there's no such thing as cancel culture. I always say to my students, one of the most important concepts that I want them to take away is that the First Amendment and the freedom of speech is protection between you and the government. Your civil liberties are meant to limit the federal government. 
freedom of speech is not a blanket term that you get to throw around when you are having pushback from people that don't like what they're hearing you say. Like that's not a freedom of speech issue. If the federal government is not coming in and regulating what you can and can't say, it's not a freedom of speech issue. Like private companies and society gets to hold you accountable for what you say. And so I think of like, oh, Trump being um, suspended on social media. Y'all, that's not a freedom of speech issue. The federal government did not come in nope. and arrest Trump for his problematic and racist speech. Right. Unfortunately. A, unfortunately. <laughs> well, yeah. But a private company made a decision yeah. that, um, co- that he violated their code of conduct. That, spoiler alert, you sign when you agree to participate mm-hmm. on that forum. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all, that's not a freedom of speech issue. And I hate that the right throws that around all that well freedom of speech and that's a tenet of our our country sure i don't want the government to come into my home and arrest me because they don't like what i said i can agree with you on that mm-hmm. but that is not this that is not mm-hmm. this like you don't get to just run your mouth and not be expected to be held accountable for that mm-hmm. and that is what i want my students to take away from my class <laughs> Welcome to coming with my, t- welcome to my TED talk. Welcome to Thanks my TED talk. My t- if you take away, if there's like three top things that I want them to get, that is in the top three. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you're talking about Trump, I was actually thinking about that as well, because um, I was recently listening to um, the the daily podcast and just talking about wrestling with that notion of what is the role of private companies in terms of regulating these kinds of things, right? Uh, and at the same time, they're not, they don't owe anybody a, a spot on their platform. Um, at the same time, is suspending somebody, in the case they were talking about Trump's um, inciting the violence at the Capitol, they're talking about whether or not a, a short suspension from something was consequence enough, or do you need to fully get rid of that person's um, platform or access to uh, access to the platform? So I was curious for either of you, do you think um, what is the role of consequences? And maybe this is something we can kind of talk a little bit more about after the break. But is there ever a point where people are held accountable enough? I don't know what enough means necessarily. But uh, what is the role of, of that, right? And remorse and change? And, and how do we look at those things? So think about that for a second. And we'll come right back. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling, and you can rest easy knowing you're gonna get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you wanna learn more, visit movetacoma.com and use the contact form. 
Thanks for listening to Channel 253. All right, so we're back, and there's so much still to talk about related to this um, topic. Nate, you have a, a story for us, I think, that'll help us kind of shift the conversation a little bit and, and answer a little bit of the question that I brought up right before we went to break. Yeah, well, and, and what I, this part is really related to the point that Megan was making about the First Amendment and how many people either don't understand or willfully misinterpret the First Amendment. Uh, I got in an exchange with an attorney friend of mine back home uh, it was in response to when KNKX fired Cliff Mass, uh, and he was going off how this is cancel culture. And like my point that I've made before and want to make again is, is that if we live in a society in which out bigots and racists know that their speech can be grounds for them to lose their jobs, uh, those of them that have jobs are less likely to get to be involved in like outward and public forms of bigotry. And so like literally this level of speech accountability like makes me safer as a person of color who's from the United States. And so like as a black man, the fact that the neo-Nazis in Tacoma and the, the, the proto-fascists in Tacoma know that like if their employer gets wind that they're engaging in this kind of activity that lose their job makes them less bold and like so literally the this 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 cancel culture that conservatives complain about like literally makes black people in the United States more safe and and th this is the thing is that like we this we, we saw this happen there was literally one of the one of the neo-nazis from gig harbor like he worked at the sprint store and they found out he worked at the sprint store and sprint fired him and so like yeah. he is now more pardon the quote, gun shy about doing things in public. And this is why they wear masks. This is why they wear hoods. Like one thing I can give America is that for the most part, the majority of the population says that like you cannot be engaged in, you cannot engage in racist activity and like be a representative of our corporation. And like that extends from like Klan rallies to social media that extends to the guys who went to Charlottesville. And like that fact keeps me safer. Absolutely. I, I think um, the, the, um, <clears throat> that the phrase that came up, like the, the, all the hats I saw of like make racists afraid again, right. Like is valid and true. And the way that you do that is by holding them accountable. It's by calling yeah. it out. It's by making it as a society, you are saying collectively that that type of behavior will not be tolerated. That's not cancel culture. That is setting the social expectations of what you want your society to look like. And I think of the teacher that taught in Bethel school district and then got a job in Tacoma public schools and he was a member of the Proud Boys, right? And this video circulated of him in his initiation video. And mm -hmm. we contacted TPS, right? Like we, and many teachers did, right? And many community members did. Yes. And before the school year even started, he was, it was decided he wasn't going to be in the classroom. Now, how that looked was a little different. It took quite a while. And that is a whole other conversation mm -hmm. in terms of like, um, like teachers, like jobs, like teachers and being a member of a union and contracts and things like that. But he did not teach a single student in TPS. Right. And like, people could argue that that's cancel culture, but no, it's, it is the community saying that we do not want somebody like that teaching our students. Mm -hmm. I think that that's perfectly acceptable. 
Well, and as you both are talking, I'm struck by, um, I keep thinking about this power dynamic, right? And so on the one hand, you have people who, you know, write for the New York Times or have these, you know, big, large platforms. And when they're, when they have pushback or are reprimanded or held accountable for some ridiculous idea that they put out there or just the way that they did it, or uh, as we saw with J.K. Rowling, um, her uh, transphobia and whatnot, and all the other problematic things in her writing. But I think about those folks are still fine. Like the pushback, I would hope actually makes them better, more thoughtful, more reflective. I don't, I'm, I don't have data to say that it did or didn't, but I think about po- folks like that on the one hand. And then I also think about some of the examples that you both have shared in terms of like more co- the common person. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I do believe like there is that accountability if you lose your job or you shouldn't be working in front of kids. If you hold certain um, ideas like close to your heart, like that is, is highly problematic. And so I wonder, do you think it's different when we're talking about like the average person and in terms of the power dynamic, because they do have less power, they do have less access to a public platform. Um, is there, is there ever a limit to that when it comes to like the average person and what is the role of like learning from these issues that we're talking about? I am okay with wealthy racists being held accountable and losing their platforms. I am okay with middle-class racists (laughs) uh, losing their platforms and being held accountable. I am okay with with low-income racists losing their platforms and being held accountable. Like, I just think that one of the issues that I want to put out there is that, like, I refuse to be, I refuse to be villainized for finding racism to be intolerable. And I Mm -hmm. refuse to be villainized for finding homophobia and transphobia to be intolerable. And, like, this is there's a, a libertarian or a classical liberal argument about like tolerance. And back to Megan's point, like the state, the state needs to tolerate speech and racists have the right to feel what they what they think. But like I am not the state and I have no obligation to put up with it in my personal life. I have no obligation to put up with my personal circles. I have no obligation to put up with it uh, on, on any platform that I host. And like mm-hmm. th- th- that's the thing for me is that like th- there is. If you want to talk about cancel culture and you want to talk about free speech, let's talk about what Republican legislatures are doing right now with the 1619 Project. Yeah. Like that is the threat to speech. Like the threat to speech that exists in the United States is coming from the political right. Like you can go back to Texas versus Johnson and flag burning. Like the political right are the ones that are always trying to limit speech and use the mechanisms of of the state to limit speech. Like this is not like I I get annoyed about this. Like honestly, like – the the ultimate form of political speech your vote like the right are the mm-hmm. ones that are trying to limit your right to vote your your right mm-hmm. to access your your right to exercise your um wants and needs through our democracy it's the right that's trying to limit that like we can talk about the law in Georgia we can talk about how Shelby v Holder in 2015 took away the federal oversight of what 15 states Nate and Every single one of those 15 states since 2015 has passed some form of legislation that has limited the access to your right to vote. Like that is not the left that is doing that. That is the right. And and to me, that is far more egregious because that is yeah. the, that is the government coming in and limiting your First Amendment right of like your, your expression in the government. So I I absolutely agree. It's it's. Um, in a system, it's in a systematic way, the right is constantly, constantly trying to limit people's 
um, expression. You can tell that we're in AP exam season because you and I are just throwing cases back and forth. But like, <laughs> I know, I love it. I'm sitting here right now thinking about Buckley versus Vallejo, right? So the Supreme Court says in Buckley versus Vallejo in the 70s that like your political, your campaign contributions are a form of political speech and therefore cannot yep. be limited. Yep. And then they come along and they say in Citizens United that like not only can you not limit uh, independent expenditures, but like the corporations have the right to give unlimited independent expenditures. And then when corporations start using their speech, Republicans are complaining about woke Disney and woke. Like just, just it's it's, it's it, I, 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 instead of debating cancel culture with these people, like we need to just point out the hypocrisy and just call them the whiners that they are. Like the the, the people who are tweeting the most about cancel culture are the people who uh, sent death rights to Colin Ka Kaepernick, try, have tried to get Colin Kaepernick, uh, well, successfully got him removed from the NFL, tried to get him to lose his Nike contract. Uh, like it, it, it is, it is, it's, it's so intellectually bankrupt that like I can't even take him seriously when we had these conversations. I, I really can't. So I guess a follow-up question is, I've heard people talk about like when to call in versus call out, right? Like that, that when do you call somebody in? When do you call somebody out? And I wonder like what both of your opinions are of, is that this conversation is call in versus call out this conversation, or is this something different entirely? I think that's what I've been kind of thinking about. Um, as you guys, as you both have been talking and just kind of in my own questions around the role, because I, I'm nodding with with both of you and the things that you're saying, and, and I firmly believe those. At the same time, I'm wrestling with with that part of it, and I think mm -hmm. maybe it's an extension of that conversation. I do, I do think, as Nate has said, like the way that Nate has laid it out, it's very straightforward and very clear. Like, why are we, you know, why are we, um, you know, going around it, right? Like, why are we not acknowledging just the, the bottom line here and and entertaining that? On the other hand, I I, I do think one of the implications comes with what do we, how do we learn from these things and how do we grow? And maybe that's where the role of call-in culture is or just that idea of cancel as more of a call-out versus the call-in. Um, and I, I, I guess specifically I'm thinking about in the classroom, I'm thinking about with colleagues, I'm thinking about uh, banned books in schools, I'm thinking about banned curriculum in schools. And so to me, that's that I would never have called it necessarily cancel culture a handful of years ago, but I feel like those things are 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 integrated or they're connected to each other in some way. For me, my rule of thumb is, is relational and also mood-based, honestly. And so like, if I feel like I have the mental capacity and I have an established relationship with somebody, then like I'll do a call in. But if like, I don't have the mental capacity or like there's no established relationship with them, then it's, it's call out. And like, I don't owe people my time. And like, my time is super valuable to me and super valuable period. Like I know my, my worth. And so if there are some folks like online and folks who I encounter activism encounter in the, in the teacher profession who like I'll hit them in the DMs and be like, yo, this, this is froggy, da, 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 da. And I'll have that conversation. But like there needs to be a relationship and I need to be a good space. And if I'm yeah. not in a good space, then like, mm -mm. Yeah, I, I think of, um, so at, in this, the interchangeable white lady <laughs> context of our podcast, bringing up the woman, Rachel Hollis. I'm not sure if y'all and the Dobbs heard about the situation with Rachel Hollis, but she's this like, self-help, self-care guru, white woman who honestly wrote her first self-help or yeah, like self-care book, advice book when she was 32 years old as though she had the, 
I don't know the answers. Um, but like the girls <laughs> stop apologizing books. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. So she's built this kind of like empire and she, um, she was called out for something and then came back with like comparing herself to like Harriet Tubman and Oprah and and like um, the shame bell, shame bell. But essentially then was like, because her entire brand, her entire brand is like her relatability and like giving advice about to like other women but then her entire like video was talking about how she doesn't want to be relatable. Like that's her entire point. You don't want to be relatable. And like, if I'm relatable, I'm losing. And so like, she was called out and like, man, oh man, was she called out. But then people were like arguing about cancel culture. And, um, cause I think target stopped carrying her books and her journals <laughs> and which, I mean, listen, <laughs> if we're talking about the Mecca for white women, Target losing yeah. Target is a blow. Um, but it's like, and then a people, other people were like, but she's apologized and she's remorseful. And so it's like, well, shouldn't we be calling her in? And I just, I don't, I do not think so. I think that she was in a significant position of power and she showed herself to be somebody that does not deserve to be giving advice to people on how to live their life. And I think that that platform being taken from her is not cancel culture. It was just like, showing her ass essentially <laughs> like right of like oof like you just don't deserve it so anyways Rachel I always like I've been thinking about this Rachel Hollis story during this entire episode of like like you as a white woman don't get to compare yourself to like Harriet Tubman and still be a self-help guru <laughs> mm. the United States tries as adults and incarcerates juvenile defendants particularly black male juvenile defendants and keeps them in prison for life and right. the u.s supreme court had the opportunity to reconsider that and they decided on a six to three margin to not reconsider that and to allow the practice to happen if we can hold 14 and 15 year old black males who make mistakes accountable for the rest of their lives then college educated white folks can afford to lose jobs. And so like, this is where I am right now. Like I, I, I have high expectations of my students and I have high expectations of my friends groups or my friend groups. And like, I just want people to be better. And like there, there's, there's, there's within like a circle of people, like you you can get strikes, but like if, if people are spewing bile and hate into the world and transphobia into the world, then like I, that's, I, I just, I, I, how are we even having a conversation in society right now that like, no, but you know, transphobes opinions matter. They, they don't, they don't yeah. like they are trying to erase and delete a huge portion of the population. Like I just, like I, I, maybe Charlottesville just changed the calculation for me, but like, no, to all these people. No, no, hell yeah. no. Like that makes me think of, I, I just watched that college admissions documentary on Netflix mm about the college admission scandal. And if, yeah. if, uh, so if the wealthiest parents in this country that paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and lied and cheated and scammed to get their children into elite colleges can get 14 days in jail, but a black mother who lied about her address to get her child into a better school right. district, gets five years in jail. Like I don't have yeah, I don't have any issue with like racist white people being held accountable and losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll also add, um, I don't have a good example like the examples you, you both brought up, but I think, 
or I wonder if part of this, um, the luxury is there, I don't know exactly how to say it, but essentially like the luxury of being like, Hey guys, come along, call in, da, 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 da. I feel like that's in alignment with if, as Nate said, like the time and the energy and the relationship, like it is a job of white people to fight white supremacy. And I wonder if in this case, we're also talking about that kind of allyship as well. So if somebody is, you know, whatever, whatever the issue is or whatever they're getting, you know, held accountable for or called out for the people who can then take the time to have the back and forth, to try to help them learn, to like help them grow or whatever. I think that really is based on how close to the issue you are. Like you should never have to be defending your own humanity in this situation, your own right to exist, as you've talked about here already. And so what is the role of allies then in this work? And and, and that's what I'm kind of lingering on as we're wrapping up our conversation. Maybe that's the role for who's going to call in versus the other folks who are at the center of it. Like they, they don't have time for that. And there's also like the mental health preservation and all those other pieces here. If you find yourself spending more energy calling out cancel culture than you are talking to your peers that have been canceled, there's a problem. Like that is in and of itself problematic. Like if you are spending more time screaming into the void about how cancel culture is problematic and awful and horrible, but you're not sitting down and having conversations with your racist ass friend, what are you doing with your life? Like let's talk about your priorities. You're working at Slate Magazine. That's what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what what are you doing with your life? I just, it's it's, um, one of those frustrating, frustrating things. Before we go to our final segments, any other kind of final thoughts um, about this topic? Nate, anything we haven't said you want to bring up or add in? I hope I, I just go back to the point that I made earlier and I would just implore people to like, don't engage in debates over cancel culture and don't apologize for holding institutions and people accountable. Like you have the right to guard your energy. You have the right to not subscribe to the Washington Post if you don't like their op-eds. You have the right to not go to Target because you don't like something they're selling. You have the right to not vote for somebody. Like, like I've, I've seen people like frame, I've seen people frame activists saying we want to replace another can replace like a candidate for or a sitting legislator as cancel culture like no that's politics and elections like just just like it's it's do do not do not waste your energy apologizing for having high standards period yeah any other final thoughts megan nothing that would be better than um what nate just said like i just like ditto all of that so uh, let's go to champagne and real pain. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. Think about, we've said, we've given a lot of examples of uh, really awful things that kind of fit into this box and in this topic of cancel culture. So I'm curious if either of you have something that you want to raise a glass to, people kind of challenging it or reframing it, or whatever the case may be, um, or uh, go ahead and give a little more shade for some other terrible examples that came to mind. Champagne and real pain, what you got? I want to give champagne to the Studs Terkel and to the James Baldwin of our time, the Queen Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. Nicole Hannah Jones is the creator of the 1619 Project. And what you're seeing is exactly what we talked about all episode. There's a massive right wing campaign to cancel Nicole Hannah Jones and to cancel the 1619 Project because they don't want the truth of, about the import and influence of, of slavery in America being taught in schools. And instead they want some lost cause revisionists like slaves liked being on the plantations. The oh Negroes, like they want that nonsense to continue to be taught. And so like 
real champagne, <laughs> and honestly, all respect due to the queen, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, I want to raise a glass to all of the corporations and companies that are not being afraid of being called out for cancel culture and are holding um, high expectations for their employees and the work that they do. Um, and that honestly react very in an expedited way when racist actions of their employees happen, right? Like there are many accounts of companies that find out, see the evidence of it and immediately fire those employees. Also just y'all shout out to Ben and Jerry's as a company, like the work that they are doing in corporate America and just like, they just say the damn thing again and again and again, and they don't shy away from it. And they, um, do really great work in policy um, and lobbying. And so just all of that, I think it's important for the people with the big, big money to be behind this. They're not perfect. And people could argue that they're doing it just for optics. But honestly, if that's what gets the ball rolling, that's what gets the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. I want to raise a glass of champagne on on a less probably serious note. I saw this fantastic tweet by at Shion B8. And I just thought it was awesome. So I'm going to um, raise a glass to this tweet. I reclaim cancel culture and just throw cancel p- culture parties where me and the other ADHD kids help each other cancel our auto renewing subscriptions. <laughs> and I just felt like that's <laughs> very much fitting for this. So raise a glass um, to her. It's really funny. Final segment. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. So this is where at the very end of the episode, we um, give y'all just some to do some homework as educators. We can't help ourselves. Um, So do y'all have any good homework to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I I mentioned it earlier on in the show. The podcast you're wrong about uh, is doing a series on essentially they're doing a three part thing where they started off looking at the big political correctness panic back in the 1990s. And then from the right wing, like cry about political correctness, they looked then at the cancellation of the Dixie Chicks during the Iraq war. And so their next episode is going to be about the modern moral panic about cancel culture. But just in general, I recommend the show highly. Uh, it's a great conversational show. And like Michael Hobbs is a nerd's nerd. And like they basically do and dive into depth on all these moral panics that we've been wrong about. Uh, everything from I mentioned earlier on backmasking to metal to the satanic panic uh, to the, 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 the gangster rap moral panic with Tipper Gore and C. Dolores Tucker. Uh, it's just a phenomenal show. So if you ha- don't listen to You're Wrong About, like, give it a shout. Hope. Megan got any homework? Oh, I can go first. Um, so honestly, I, I really um want to encourage our listeners to like don't I just really don't waste your energy fighting with people that are fighting cancel culture and put that energy instead to educate yourself about what's going on with voting rights around the country right now, what's happening in state legislatures. Um the reapportionment um, has concluded after the census and the electoral college points have been redistributed, which means that we are moving into the phase, <clears throat> excuse me, of redistricting, but on the state level. And so really pay attention to that, right? Pay attention to what state legislatures are doing when redrawing district lines, especially in states that are turning a bit more purple, y'all, like states like Texas, who gained two electoral points, states like Arizona, who are feeling the panic of the 2016 election, and states like Georgia, who are in 
just an absolute modern day voter suppression of Black Americans. And so really watching closely what's happening with those district lines, because that will impact our electorate for the next 10 years. Um, and if you see something, see something, say something, but... <laughs> But like, God, that's not the phrase, but that was literally the thing that popped into my head. But like, stranger danger. <laughs> anyways, just educate yourself about what's going on, because honestly, like the long lasting impact of the decisions that are about to be made is I can't understate enough the power of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to give any homework. I think both of those things are fantastic. So I'm going to encourage listeners to go ahead and do those things. Nate, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your hot takes. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me back on. Bye. Can we cancel? Bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Did Doug just put a hat on, by the way? Like, that just just happened? You just put that on, yes? I just grew that. Okay, okay. (laughs) The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.